Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. Our reading is from Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to chapter 6, verse 6. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for twelve years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If I even touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in, where, went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Humility, the girl got up and began walking, for she was twelve years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. He went away from there and came to his hometown. And his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Jesus and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went out among the villages teaching the word of the Lord. Thank you. 
Well, welcome again. We've been working through the Gospel of Mark uh, week by week for the last, I guess, 10 weeks or so. We started uh, on Easter with the resurrection and then went right back to the very beginning. And we have been going through Mark expositionally, passage by passage, to uh, walk with Jesus, to, to get close to Jesus, to, to discover and learn from him. And we've discovered that in the Gospel of Mark, there are really two questions that Mark is seeking to answer for us, or seeking us to wrestle with. Those first quest- the first question is, who is Jesus? And Mark has been showing us through these various accounts that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Christ who has come with authority to teach and to heal, to cast out demons. We've seen that he has the authority to calm the wind and the waves. We see that he has the authority to cast out armies of demons. Today's passage will show us that he has authority over death itself. The second question, though, is what does it mean to say, I believe in Jesus? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? What is a disciple of Jesus? Those two questions are so important. And we have seen uh, that Jesus, or that, that Mark describes a disciple as a, as a follower of Jesus, one who is both with Jesus and, and partnered with Jesus and sharing Jesus. So we have discovered more and more of the higher and higher the, the identity and the revelation of who Jesus is, the greater and greater the call upon us to respond to Jesus with faith. And today's passage brings that message of faith to a focus, to a head. Today we are going to see the classic doctrine rescued in the Reformation the doctrine of faith alone brought into amazing three-dimensional um, uh, beauty as we see Jesus calling disciples to follow him by putting their faith alone in him. And these stories are going to show us that faith alone is not an abstract doctrine that we have in our creeds. It is not something that we merely assent to theologically. Faith alone is something that very much matters to our day-to-day life. It has practical implications. If we understand that we have Jesus by faith alone, then we can face today and tomorrow the good and the bad. And so in this passage, these three different stories, we are going to see three reasons why faith alone is all we need for our salvation. We are going to see faith alone shown to us in two positive stories. Two cherished stories. And then in the third story, we are going to see one that brings a warning. A warning that attends to any of us who have a deficient understanding of faith alone. Who have a deficient understanding of salvation. All three of these reasons are going to show us that faith alone will take care of us, is all that we need. But as we come to that final story today, we need to make sure that we have not substituted an inferior, an inadequate understanding of faith for what we are called uh, to exercise when we are called to faith alone. This passage is, uh, is a passage that every time I read it, it gets a little deeper in my heart. Um, I've read this passage before I was a dad, and it was just a passage of a miracle. Now that I'm a dad, I have a little daughter. It gets very close to home. And I know for others, this story goes even deeper. 
But for all of us who grieve or who fear, I think we find great comfort in that doctrine, faith alone. So let us now look at three reasons faith alone is all we need from this passage. First, let's look at uh, chapter 5, verses 21 to 34. I hope you have your Bible with you, or if you have the handout with the passage, the outline is, is printed. The first reason, faith alone in Christ is sufficient. It's the first thing, the first reason faith alone is enough. Faith alone in Christ is sufficient. And here we look at uh, the beginning of this encounter between the ruler of the synagogue named Jairus, who comes to Jesus because his daughter is in a grave condition. And we also meet this woman who has a flow of blood and is also in a serious situation. Let us first look at Jairus. We've come back from the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and as immediately Jesus gets there, the crowd shows up again. And in this crowd is somebody that we don't really expect based on how we have seen the Gospels develop. We have seen that the people who are interested in Jesus are, are usually the common folk, the townspeople. The people that are usually questioning and challenging Jesus are the educated, the scribes, those that are in the religious institutions, those who have power in the, in the culture. And so we are uh, a bit surprised when we see this man named Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, coming to Jesus and begging him earnestly. Now, I don't know, uh, it, it, we don't have a whole lot of backstory with Jairus, but we do note that Jairus is different from the people who have come, but what has brought him there is his experience of an urgent need. I don't know if, if Jairus perhaps... Uh, participated in the debates with the other scribes and the Pharisees and the religious rulers and had, up to this point, remained a bit distant, a bit dismissive, maybe uh, even skeptical of Jesus. But when his daughter turned for the worse and her health continued to deteriorate so that even he could recognize that his daughter was at the point of death, he rushes to Jesus. He recognizes his urgent need in Jesus. Look at, at verse 23. He implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. My little daughter. It took me till about the end of the week to recognize that, that it is a special term for daughter. It is an affectionate term term for daughter, that speaks very much of that intimate, sweet relationship that a, a daddy has with his little daughter. And his little daughter is at the point of death. He's desperate. Moments count. He's scared. Time is of the essence. She is at the point of death. It's not just that she is ill. It's not just that she's seriously ill. It is that she is at the point of death. We know how close she is at the point of death because later in the story, the funeral uh, crowd has already shown up. They had to be ready to be there. That's how close she was to death. Can you relate to a gyrus-like situation? Panicked. At the very last moments, desperate, 
having your needs so urgent that you just you fall at your knees begging. That's Jairus. Jairus needs Jesus, and so Jesus immediately responds to Jairus' request, and the whole caravan, the whole entourage, turns and heads to Jairus' house. And I imagine they were making quick pace. They were walking as briskly as possible. There is this crowd of people that are all around Jesus. We're said that they're, they're kind of jostling. It's like, it's like walking down a narrow hallway at, uh, at Disney World or maybe at an LSU basketball, uh, football game. Not basketball. I, you won't have a crowd there. But <sighs> football game, just jostled around. I mean, tons of people are packed in there. And Jesus is having a hard time even keeping one step in front of another because the crowd is so thick. He is tripping and stumbling. The crowd is packed around him. But they are on a mission. They are going to get to Jairus' house. They are going to get to that sweet daughter. They're going to get there in time because as long as she's still got a breath in her, Jairus knows Jesus can heal this little daughter. And so we are in suspense We are headed to the house. We are going to see Jesus heal another person. And then all of a sudden, the story stops. The story interrupts. The momentum ends. The crowd is brought to a screeching halt. The narrative has been brought to a screeching halt by Mark's use of what we have talked about in the past, a Mark and sandwich. Often Mark will take a story and insert it into another story at a key point. And why does he do that? We've seen in the past that he has put a story in between two other stories so that you read the two together. But in this situation, not only is that true as we will see, but I believe Mark is capturing the suspense of this account. Because in the middle of all of this movement to get to Jairus' daughter, Somebody else in that crowd has a great need. And this person is just a woman. We don't know her name. All we know is that she is suffering from a serious condition. Verse 26 again describes her this way. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She has had this condition, a menstrual condition that has left her uh, bleeding for 12 relentless years. She has done everything that she could. She has gone to the doctors and she has done and accepted every possible procedure that they are willing to offer her. But we are told that as much as she has done, she has spent her last penny. Everything that was done to her has not helped her. In fact, she has grown worse. Her condition has become more severe, more unrelenting. Now, her condition, I imagine, is quite physically debilitating. She's bleeding all the time. That takes your energy. It's also uh, a problem for a far more acute reason, and that is that this condition made her completely unclean in the culture. Her her, uh, nonstop, unremitting menstrual situation made her unable to touch or be in contact with other people in the community without contaminating them and spreading uncleanness that made other people unable to be part of the community of God. You see, the Old Testament had structured the people of God around the concept of holiness 
And so unholiness, sin, and uncleanness were things that the people were taught had to be separated from the presence of the community of God because it cannot be in the presence of God. And so this woman who has had this condition for 12 years and certainly has not uh, been uh, able to hide this condition has lived in a culture that has to push her away, that has to isolate her, that has to separate themselves from her. And so the very idea of this woman is that she has been socially and spiritually and physically isolated and separated for more than a decade. This woman is taking a great risk piling through that crowd to get to Jesus. I mean, we have a woman who is probably weak, who does not have the same amount of energy that an average person has, but she is clawing and pushing and trying to jostle her way to get to Jesus. She is doing that at great risk to her health, and she is doing that to great risk to her culturally and socially. Because if anybody recognizes this woman, you're making me unclean. Get out of here, woman. But she is desperate. She is at a place of urgent need and desperation. And so Mark has put these two accounts together. In some ways, we see Jairus and the woman as completely opposites. Jairus is respected. Jairus is looked up to. Jairus is a professional. Jairus is righteous. He's the ruler of the synagogue. Jairus is at the center of the people of God. He is closer to God than others because of his profession. At least that's how it was structured. The woman is a woman of no repute, no name, except that she is unclean and lives on the outside. And they both in this story come together, a person of great substance and circumstance and standing next to a person who has nothing, who is a pariah. They are vastly different, and yet they are brought together because they both need life. They both need life. They are both desperate. The woman has tried every doctor. The man has his daughter at the point of death. And so as different as they seem, they are brought together by this. They both come by faith. That is all they have. Jairus comes to Jesus Because he believes the only person on the face of the earth that can give any hope to him is Jesus. And the woman comes to Jesus because she knows the only person who can heal her is Jesus. And so they push themselves into a place, perhaps at great risk, because their faith says, only Jesus can help me. And so, as different as they may seem, they come to same ground. They come together because they both need faith. And what do we see with Jesus? Jesus receives both. Jesus takes the man of standing and he takes Jairus He responds to his need. He heads towards his house. But then, in the middle of it all, when this woman crowds through and reaches out to touch him, 
She receives, he receives her as well. He receives both by faith. And here I think we can uh, uh, see a principle. Jesus welcomes everyone by faith alone. Whether you're on the outside or the inside, whether you're high or whether you are low, Jesus welcomes all by faith alone. The woman and the man are both received by Jesus. This gives uh, such beautiful comfort. There is not a single person who has anything put in their way by Jesus. Jesus welcomes all who come to them to him by faith. As it is said beautifully in John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We divide everybody by blood and will and effort and flesh and the will of man, but Jesus receives all who come to him by faith alone. Now the story stops. The caravan stops. Jesus deals with this woman who he has felt touch her. He has felt the touch of the woman in the middle of this crowd, jostling him in every direction. He's not being touched by one person. He's being touched by dozens of people. And he recognizes, as this woman touched him, that power has flowed out from him, and he stops everything. And he wants to know who touched him. At the moment that this woman got to Jesus and reached out to him and touched him, she experienced immediate healing. She knew immediately that her issue was over, that she was healed. And what this woman really wanted to do, because she is a social pariah, she wants to disappear. She wants to drift out of the crowd and go back to anonymous existence. But then Jesus stops everything. Because Jesus wants this woman to experience the fullness of her her new life that she has received by faith alone in him. Jesus stops everything to show us three things about the life that Jesus gives by faith alone. First, we see that the life that Jesus gives by faith alone in him is this. It is immediate. Look at verse 29. Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately she experienced the new life that came from Christ. Second, the life that Jesus gives to those who come in faith alone is personal. Is personal. So she touches him. She wants to drift away and disappear, but he stops everything and he says, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? Well, the disciples recognize the absurdity of that question. Hundreds of people have touched your garments. There are 15 people that have touched your garments in the last 20 seconds. You're asking a specific question. Who touched my garments?
He recognizes the unique touch of the woman. He knows her touch from everyone else's touch. And he responds to her touch specifically and personally. He stops everything. Remember what's being stopped here. This is a life-saving mission. Jesus is an ambulance that has to get to a woman that is about to die. The clock is ticking, and Jesus stops everything for this woman because he wants to know who touched his garments. He makes the crowd stop. He makes the disciples aghast and dismayed with all of this. And he looks, and he waits. He waits while this daughter is dying to find out who touched my garments. Can't Jesus just let the woman go and get on the way? I mean, aren't there more urgent things than answering this question? But he stops everything and he makes the woman who knows she cannot get away come out of the crowd, be seen, exposed to all, who comes in fear and trembling to confess it was her. She touched the garment. Why? Why this stop? Why this unnecessary uh, uh, cessation of everything? Jesus wants us to recognize that the life that he gives by faith alone is personal. Faith is not a transaction. It is not something that we go to Jesus like a vending machine and say, D4, I want that, and walk out. The relationship that we have with Jesus by faith alone is personal. Jesus wants us to recognize in this moment, if we have faith in Jesus, we have a relationship with him. You don't just get to touch him and move on. Jesus turns around, he has had his power go out to you, and now you are in a covenant relationship. You are going to see his face, and and he's going to see your face. There is a real relationship, a personal relationship formed by faith alone. He turns to her, and we see the dynamic of this relationship when what does Jesus call her? Daughter. Daughter, the second time that we've heard the word daughter. Jesus cherishes this woman just like Jairus is cherishing his little daughter. She's healed. She's back. My daughter is right here. I want the crowd to see the pariah is my daughter. She's mine. I love her. Isn't that so much better than a transaction? That Jesus personally knows you and personally celebrates you and personally says you are mine. That is what we have by faith alone. If we have faith in Jesus, we have a relationship with him. Third, the life that Jesus gives us 
by faith alone in him is complete. He says, daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well and be healed of your disease. Now, literally, the words translated made you well are the same words for you are saved. In the context, it makes sense that it is healing, but it's the same words for being saved. And it's in the perfect tense, which means it is done, and it is ongoing, and it is unchanging. You are healed. You will not go back to this condition. You will not suffer from this again. You are healed, and the rest of your life will experience the benefits and the blessings of being healed. The same is true of our salvation by faith alone. By the moment you are saved by faith alone, you are saved. Full stop. And you will go on the rest of your life growing and enjoying the blessings of that salvation. But it is complete at the moment of saving faith. And Jesus brings this woman out so that everyone can hear, Daughter, go in peace. Your faith has made you well and be healed of your disease. Because not only is it important for her to recognize the fullness of her salvation by faith alone in Christ, but for the whole community to recognize that she has been fully restored. She is whole again. This woman is not a pariah. This woman is not an outcast. She is healed and you accept her. You see, Jesus wants the salvation that this woman experiences by faith alone to be complete. It's not just a private experience. It is something that is public. She is restored and whole. When she goes home, she goes home to a community, to a place that she belongs, and to a place that no one can say, you can't belong anymore. Because Jesus has says, you are healed. This is... What we are told of the gospel in one of the most beautiful verses in Romans, of which there are many, Romans 8.1, Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you are in Christ Jesus, when is your condemnation over? Now. It is immediate. It is personal. You are in Christ Jesus. And it is complete. There is now no fear of condemnation for all who come to Christ by faith alone for his salvation. In Jairus and the woman, we see that Jesus is all that they have left. They were out of options. But the beautiful thing is they discover Jesus is all they need. Jesus is all they need. Faith alone is sufficient. Faith alone is sufficient. Second, faith alone in Christ will not disappoint. So everything has stopped. Everything is ground to a halt. Jairus is there listening to this woman and Jesus talk. Tick, tick, tick. He didn't come with time to spare. What's going on with my daughter? Can you feel it? Can you feel that interruption? We need the medicine now. And everything has stopped. So if there can be this conversation, beautiful as it is, it's not that urgent. I mean, the woman's lived for 12 years. She can handle another day, right? But my daughter is going to die within hours. Faith alone in Christ will be tested. 
Jairus is experiencing, he has come to faith in Jesus. He has clung to Jesus by faith alone. But here he is experiencing faith alone in Christ being tested. Three things are happening to him. He's experiencing a test of delay. Why am I having to wait? Why is time ticking by? Isn't it one of the hardest things to wait on the Lord? When your daughter is dying, waiting on the Lord is unbearable. Any other situation is unbearable. But how many times does our faith get answered with wait? Second, his faith is tested by tragedy. Somebody comes from the house to say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. That's the worst news. It's over. The daughter is dead. There's no good news after she's dead. That's the end. Now I bury my daughter. And I live with grief. Then third, doubt and ridicule test his faith. Don't bother the teacher any longer. Teachers can't raise the dead. He was a healer. This is way above his pay grade. He cannot go and help you anymore. Calling him a teacher reminds us that he is too small to be of help any longer. And then ridicule. What happens when Jesus brings Jairus into the house? He says, the the, the girl is not dead, she is only sleeping. It is laughter and mockery. I mean, to continue to believe when the girl is dead and you're listening to Jesus say she's not dead, she's asleep. I mean, he sounds like he's out of his mind. And yet we're still to believe. Faith alone is being tested. Jesus says to Jairus after he hears this worst news, he says, do not fear, only believe. Only believe? I mean, seriously, what are you talking about? Believe in what? The daughter is dead. How can I believe? How how can I believe in anything right now? My daughter is dead. I am overwhelmed. Jesus didn't save the girl. That's what happened. He let the girl die. He stopped when he could have saved her to deal with this other woman. And he let my girl die. What is there to believe in? When we step back from the story, we recognize that Jesus sometimes lets bad things happen so that he can help us grow in our faith. In a similar story, in the story of Lazarus, we know that Jesus deliberately stayed away for four days so that Lazarus' illness would be a death. And when he comes to meet Martha and Mary, he gets the question that I think we have all asked at different times when Jesus did not show up on time. Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother 
would not have died. Can we continue to believe a God that lets this happen? Can we believe a Jesus that lets this happen? Yes. Because just like with Lazarus, Jairus is going to discover that the death of the daughter is not an accident. It did not come as a surprise. It did not go beyond what Jesus was able to do. Jesus, in fact, permitted this to show that faith in him will not be disappointed. Faith in Jesus will not be disappointed. And so Jairus must cling to faith alone. Do not be afraid, only believe. You must cling to me. Faith alone in Christ. And so Jairus, who has to will himself, because it's an imperative, he has to will himself to remain believing in Jesus, is taken into the house, is taken past the mourners who know the girl is dead. Here's the laughter that he's got Jesus with him, saying some sort of malarkey that the girl is just asleep. He has to continue to believe through all of this, and he goes into the room where his daughter is laying down cold. And he has to believe. He has to hold on to faith alone in Christ. But he does. And he sees death reversed. He sees despair become joy. He sees Jesus say to his little lifeless daughter, I say to you, arise. Just like you say to your daughter when it's time to wake up in the morning. And the little girl responded just like she was hearing the words of her dad waking her up. I believe, I I love how Tim Keller describes this moment in his book, King's Cross. He says, Jesus sits down, takes her hand and says, Honey, it's time to get up. And she does. Jesus is facing death, the most implacable, inexorable enemy of the human race. And such is his power that he holds this child by the hand and gently lifts her right up through it. Honey, get up. Jesus is saying by his actions, if I have you by the hand, death itself is nothing but sleep. By faith alone in Christ, we discover that we will not be disappointed because by faith alone in Christ, we know that death is not the end. Joy is. Tragedy doesn't get the last word, as Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, 
but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now I can tell you what Paul calls a light, momentary affliction feels like none of that in the moment. In the moment, whatever comes, your daughter is at the point of death, the diagnosis is severe, the cancer is advanced, the job is ending, are not light, momentary afflictions when they come. But because we have faith alone in Christ, who reaches by the hand and raises up the daughter, who goes to the cross to remove all the separation that our sins have created and is himself risen from the dead so that all who have life in have him have his life in them the truth is whatever severe affliction it is in your life will in the in the eternal days that are ahead of you in Christ's presence eventually become a light momentary affliction that will be so outweighed by the surpassing greatness and beauty and glory of all the riches you have in Christ for eternity. That is hard to believe in the moment, but Jesus gives us Jairus' daughter to assure you that faith alone in Christ will not disappoint. The gospel means that the end for all who trust in Christ alone is joy. Third, we've seen that faith alone in Christ is sufficient. Faith alone in Christ will not disappoint. Third, we see faith alone in Christ gets Jesus. And now we have to turn towards a passage that is deeply troubling. We have to turn to a passage that confounds and that all who have put their faith in Jesus have to look at with great sadness. Jesus comes home to Nazareth, to the place where he grew up, to the, to the people who know him. Now Nazareth is a small little town, very inconsequential, rural farm town, maybe, maybe three, four, five hundred people live there at most. Everybody knew each other. They all filled up at the one gas station, stopped at the one traffic light. Uh, they got to know each other. It is hard for us to imagine Jesus as a simple town person, as a person who grew up, who was known as a carpenter. But here... As Jesus goes back to his home after all of these miracles, we find his, his neighbors and his friends having a hard time to believe he could be anything more. How can this Jesus be the Christ? We, we know how bad of a softball player he is. He's, he's, he didn't make the team. Jesus comes, he teaches in their synagogue, and the people are astonished. They're astonished. And what are they astonished about? Not, not necessarily what he is teaching, but that he is the one teaching these things. 
It's that he is saying these things about the kingdom, about repenting and believing in the gospel. They are astonished. Look look at verses 2 and 3. Where did this man get these things? Isn't he the carpenter? I'm not going to listen to the handyman tell me the secrets of heaven. That's, that's above his pay grade. That's not what I, I employ him for. You see, Nazareth knew Jesus well. They knew Jesus well, but they didn't believe in him. And this is why this story is troubling. The people of Nazareth knew Jesus well, but there wasn't any belief in them. Jesus was a neighbor, a guest, a friend, not a Lord. They took offense because they could hear his message. They knew what his message meant. His message always came with authority. And they do not want Jesus who they grew up with and who they had a comfortable existence with and who they were just fine with as the carpenter speaking to them with authority. He doesn't get to have authority. He's the carpenter. He's Mary's son. His message claimed authority over their lives. But this is what's important for us to recognize. The Jesus that we get by faith alone is a Jesus who is Lord. Is a Jesus who has authority. And so if we look at Jesus and he doesn't have authority over our life, we need to look at the kind of faith we have put in him. Does Jesus have authority over your life? Does he have authority over your marriage? Over your parenting? Over your relationships? Does he have authority over your spending? Your time? Your choices? Your thoughts? Your desires? When we receive Jesus by faith alone, we receive Jesus as Lord And his authority is over all of us. And this is important. Does Jesus have authority over you? Or do you just know him like a neighbor knows him in Nazareth? The outcome is tragic. Look at chapter 6, verse 5. He could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people And healed them. Now it wasn't because Jesus lacked power. It was because nobody came to him. Nobody wanted him as Lord. Nobody wanted his healing power. They were too offended that he even presumed upon them. That he could heal them. And so they stayed away. Their unbelief kept them from coming to Jesus. How tragic is this? Look at the stories that we have just gone through. He calms the winds and the waves. He uh, evicts an army of demons. He heals a woman of of a chronic condition. He raises a daughter from the dead. And these people see none of that because they cannot believe that he could. And so they stay away. They keep Jesus small and safe and easy. 
But he looks at them and he marvels. He can see what could have been. He can see what they they could have received. He knows how deficient their faith is, their relationship is, and he marvels at their unbelief. Does he marvel at your unbelief? Does he marvel that you continue to refuse to trust in him as he really is? Faith alone gets Jesus nothing else. The town of Nazareth makes it clear, being familiar with Jesus does not get Jesus. Being religious around Jesus does not get Jesus. Growing up with Jesus does not get Jesus. Liking Jesus does not get Jesus. Faith alone in Jesus gets Jesus. But praise God, faith alone gets Jesus, and Jesus is all you need. As we learned in Bible school, all of the promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And so if you have Jesus by faith alone, you get everything that is in Jesus. So we see that faith alone in Christ is sufficient. It will not disappoint and it gets Jesus. There is nothing to prevent you. Nothing that you must add or can add to Jesus. He has done it all. Turn to him, put your faith in him, lean on him in your trials. He is faithful. He will take hold of you. He will never let you go. He will bring you to him and he will wipe away every tear. Only believe. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.